The Behemoth Brewing Company presents the Department of Conversation with Pat Brittenden. Behemoth, give me something hoppy. Okay, oh, Koto Fano, welcome back to another edition of the Department of Conversation with me, Pat Brittenden. If you want to find out more about us and how we sing our introductions, all you need to do is go to facebook.com slash d-o-c-n-z or you can go to youtube.com d-o-c-n-z studios i have no idea whether i'm going to use the introduction yet or not but uh let's see what happens as we keep on going through hi welcome back uh big thanks to behemoth brewery behemoth brewery are our feature sponsor of the show uh they have been with us for a wee while and they always love trying new things and making bigger tasting beers uh find out more about them behemoth brewing .co.nz. Now, you, maybe you've heard, maybe you haven't heard, maybe you have heard about this little thing going around the world for the past 18 months called a COVID. Um, it's, it's, it's a crazy thing. It's a crazy thing. And I am, if I'm honest with you, be kind of becoming a bit more and more nervous about what COVID is, what it could be, where it could go. Just today, as I'm recording this, we hear about a new variant in Africa, and we hear about um, some countries in Europe shutting their borders to six countries in Africa because of this new variant. And, you know, gosh, I don't want to say the worst of the worst, but at some stage in the world, there will probably be an event, likely a virus, that will basically knock us all out. I know. Yeah, okay, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. (sighs) And we live in a country here in New Zealand, for those of you in New Zealand, who are one of the safer ones in the world. Although, as you can see, we are suffering from Delta a bit at the moment, but comparatively compared to the rest of the world, we're still doing remarkably well. I didn't mean to depress you at the start of this. It's the audio podcast. I can't even show you a picture of the puppy and how she's doing at the moment, just to make it all better. It's not better at the moment. I'm sorry. But look, um, I really wanted to have a chat uh, with a university professor out of Otago, Professor Lloyd Spencer Davis. Now, uh, Lloyd is the Professor of Science Communications, and with what is going on in the world at the moment, what has been going on for the last 18 months, I just thought, what what better than speaking to someone who is an expert, not only in like science and the scientific practice, I guess, but also in how that gets communicated to the general public. So I got a chance to spend an hour with Lloyd. Um, there are a few technical glitches in this one, and it's not so much that you will hear them, uh, but Lloyd struggled occasionally on his end to hear what I was saying in its entirety. So sometimes I ask a bit of a question, and there's a bit of a response, which is basically the answer to the question, but Lloyd's putting together my pathetic meanderings, making sense of them, and then answering back to us. You won't hear the technical glitches, uh, Lloyd was hearing a few, so if there's something that doesn't quite seem to feel like it lines up, question and answer, that'll be why. But other than that, it was a great one, and we've got plenty of, uh, happening between now and Christmas, seeing we are within a month of Christmas. How terrifying is that? And uh, until we talk to you next time, enjoyed Professor Lloyd Spencer Davis. Hey, yes, and welcome to the Department of Conversation, and welcome to the Department of Conversation, Professor of Science Communication, Professor Lloyd Spencer Davis. Lloyd, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, kia ora. Kia ora. Uh, great to be here. Thanks, Pat. Now, I um, have been looking forward to having a chat with you for quite a while, um, because it feels to me as if someone who is, of all things, a professor in how to communicate science might be the most important person in the world uh, in this current 
climate of COVID and fake news and, you know, uh, NZD, SOS and all sorts of things that are going out there at the moment that you might have some little insights into the world that may help the rest of us. So genuine thanks for coming on board. And um, I like your studio in the background. I can see all the lenses back there. It's very cool. Well, it's a bit messy at the moment because we're undergoing renovations. But uh, I don't know about the introduction. It, it sort of builds me up to be someone I'm probably not. Uh, I don't think I'm the font of all knowledge. But I, I do think you're correct that in these times, someone who understands communication is really, really important because it's just so sad, really, what's happening in the world. Uh, and it's not just now with COVID. It's been happening for the last, dare I say, uh, four or five years. Um, so, yeah. Well, I think the idea of um, science communication being so important at the moment because uh, for some reason at the moment, and I've had a couple of conversations with scientists and stuff over the last, let's say, 18 months about um, you know, why people believe, you know, fake news and why people believe non-scientific information, take it on board as scientific information. Um, I think they're important conversations to have. You're right, communication is always important, but in this particular age, science communication seems to be one of those ones. But you are someone who is also, and I want to bring up your page off the university, incredibly interesting person. Um, your university page uh, talks of, of all your exploits uh, not just a professor of uh, science communication, also an award-winning author and filmmaker. You've authored over 155 referred publications. Uh, you've won awards for your uh, filmmaking all over the world. And I was um, I was thinking as well, I don't know if you know Anthony Powell, but you seem to run in similar circles as Anthony Powell, who's a, um, a documentarian, a, a, a person who has a love for Antarctica, and has made television shows around that part of the world as well. He's been on the podcast. And um, when I had him on last time, one of the reasons we had him on, hopefully you won't laugh at this and hang up straight away, was to dispute the flat earth with his evidence from Antarctica. So it's it's you seem to be such an interesting character. And I wonder how you went from – I mean, all of, a lot of us wear lots of hats, right? But the hats you seem to wear don't seem to be lots of hats. They seem to be almost unrelated or certainly very widely spread hats. And, you know, filmmaking, photography, writing, professor. How did that all come together to be the one person we see before us today? Actually, uh, I think they actually are all related. And um, I, I, I think science comes from a love of nature and a love of the world, wanting to know about it and things like that. But so does filmmaking and writing books and things. And, and and as a young guy, I was always influenced by the likes of David Attenborough. And it's right. it's kind of scary for me, you know, like I'm an old guy now and David Attenborough is still there. He's been there all my life, like this sort of little North Star. It's not that I wanted to be David Attenborough, but I wanted to be kind of like him in some of the things he did. And I ended up going down the academic route and becoming a scientist but at a certain point, because I always had this love of popularizing science, I started writing books. Well, in fact, I started by making films and then writing books as well. And at a certain point, the university said, hey, why don't we get together with NHNZ and produce a course in communication and natural history filmmaking, which is what we started in 2001. And then in 2008, we became a full-fledged uh, center for science communication. And 
with the help of money from the Stuart Residence Halls Council, the university was able to set up a, an endowed chair or professorship in science communication. And I was fortunate to be the guy tapped on the shoulder for that. Um, so do you see your artistic expression, and I'll use that term for your your filmmaking, that as sort of an extension, a storytelling aspect to your to your science? Yeah, I, I think they're, they're very related in that way. And the other thing you could say if you were analyzing me is they come from the heart and the academic stuff oftentimes comes from the head. And so for me, it's really important because it's a way of being creative. I mean, one of the things about science is you're often, you're being creative in the way you're looking at things, but you're very constrained. And the, the, the artifice, as you call it, the, the filmmaking, the, the books and that, they give you a chance to go and push the boundaries, so to speak. I would think as well, especially if they're successful as you have been in, in that sort of, in that documentary filmmaking, they would also op offer you more opportunities to then do more science. Like you're going to be invited places and to get to travel and you get to other things because of that, which would probably give you more chance to do your, your science and science communication as well. Uh, absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah, they go hand in hand. I sometimes get invited to make films because of my science background. Uh, I uh, sometimes uh, get invited to do more science because of the documentaries or the, uh, yeah. the book. Yeah. Hey, are you hearing this okay? Because it's you're breaking up here quite a bit, and I just wonder if I should try something different. I, you're you're beautiful, and you're fine exactly where I am. If it's okay for your end, I'm happy to keep on trucking. Um, I'll, I'll keep on trucking, and you're the first person to say I'm beautiful, so that, that that's a one in my book. I think it's an appropriate time to perhaps mention your website then as well, talking about being beautiful. Because the one of the things I thought about your website, and I'm sure you've had this before, is the uncanny resemblance to Hans Gruber from Die Hard. Surely you've had someone notice that before about your uh, the, the, look, the look of Hans Gruber there from Die Hard and the absolutely, uh, what do they call it? The, 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 uh, the gray, the graying beautiful man who looks like he could have come straight off that same movie set with uh, Bruce Willis? Uh, it, I've certainly been uh, associated with the actor, not necessarily that particular role, but yeah, yeah, people have sometimes stopped me. And the the best one was probably when I was in New York and someone came up to me and said, you know, I really, really like your work. You know, it's amazing. And uh, so I, I went and played along with that for a little bit. Is Alan, is Alan Rickman, was that the guy's name? I think it Sorry, was. what was I that? It, I think it was Alan Rickman. That was the the actor's yes, name. Yes, absolutely, it? Alan Rickman. Yeah. Yeah, and he's and he sadly passed away not too long ago from from memory. That's correct. So, yeah. Anyway, that's not what you're here for. I just thought it was a you're it was an interesting little divulge into that area. Now, listen, I really want to talk to you about communication and uh, communicating of science, obviously specifically around COVID and what's happening at the moment. Um, I, I kind of want to just open up the floor for you to share some thoughts. I have some specific stuff I want to talk about. I have uh, also some people who I've been talking to in my role of, of, a, of a podcaster and also another um, little thing I do, which is more of a news show. But how are you seeing the world at the moment 
And how are you seeing the public's reaction to the way that they're being communicated to about COVID? Do you have any concerns? Do you have any kind of brickbats or bouquets? How's it, how's it been going from looking from the outside in? Uh, good question. And I guess you could throw both the brickbats and the bouquets. I mean, for a start off, I think in terms of bouquets, I think we've been very fortunate in New Zealand. We have uh, a very smart prime minister, very eloquent, and someone who took responsibility from the get-go, uh, along with the Director General of Health. And I think they got the message to the majority of New Zealanders very well. Uh, and I think they still do. They still yeah. have those one o'clock briefings. And, and overall, I think most people can relate to what they're saying. However, it's a one-trick pony and it just doesn't work for everyone. And so if I was going to say any brickbats, it's that there are parts of society where that yellow and white sort of um, border that they have that distinguishes the communication about COVID is not going to work. It looks very police state-like. It, it, it's like the tape they put around an accident or a crime yeah, investigation. Right. And um, I think that combined with the ill effects of social media, things like Facebook and, and some really duplicitous people, it's created a sense of um, fear and unknowing in some people. And, you know, you're always going to get the rat bags or the uh, people that are just anti-vaxxers, you know, and they may well have a legitimate reason why they don't want it. But it's a very small proportion of people. And the problem we have is that the communication routes to the people that need that information, the people that are on the fence or undecided, they are so swamped with all this um, illegitimate uh ill-conceived communication that's being bombarded at them and then circulated. And uh, I, I think that's that's the sad part. And I think if I was giving a, a brick back to the government, having given them a bouquet for the way they've done it for the majority of us, they're still leaving behind or not trying hard enough to reach some of those areas that they could. As a communicator yourself and as someone who teaches communication, have you had to become uh, like an expert in, you know, Facebook algorithms? Because there are a lot of people out there who are getting their science uh, from a Facebook algorithm. Is that something you delve into? Is that something you look into? Uh, not, a, not at all like that. I look into the role of social media in terms of um, communication. And I'm, I'm not normally... First of all, I should preface all this. I'm not an expert in COVID. I'm not a medic. Most of my yeah. research about communication is to do with communicating science in places like national parks and things like that, uh, or in an educational environment. So I do look at social media, but it's more the role that social media can have in uh, developing concepts and people's. Uh, understanding of science. I don't look at the machinations of how something like Facebook works if you want to game it. And that's the problem because the people that are good at this 
are the people that have the worst motives. And, yeah. and I would have to say the people with the best motives, if you put the government in that class, um, they, they're really tentative in what they're doing there. So, um, I mean, you can't put all the blame on the government side. I mean, some of it definitely belongs with the companies like Facebook and so forth. Uh, you know, the, you know, God help us. You know, we, we lived through four years of Trump and it changed the way that all this stuff works. And you would think there would have been enough pushback that we'd be in a better place now, but we seem to be in a worse place of anything. Well, I, I think what, uh, can we call it the Trump effect? I don't know if it's an official term or not, has done is it's brought legitimate, obviously within America, are brought legit legitimacy to things like xenophobia and racism and misogyny and that kind of stuff. But I think what it's done for the rest of the world is given legitimacy to questioning everything. You know, it's almost like, well, what do you mean I have to tie this bungee cord to my ankles if I'm jumping off the bridge? Who says so? Where's your evidence? What, what I mean, why? You know, it's like a, it's, it's like given legitimacy to every ridiculous freaking question that someone wants to ask. It's a bit like someone once said, um, social media has unfortunately given everyone the perspective that they think their opinion matters because they can talk to the world. Like, And it's just it's simply not true. And I wonder what Trump has done is unfortunately given all these people the belief that their questions matter, and I and I'm and I don't want to sit here and go. There's no, you know, there's there's no dumb questions. But you get to a point. I I interviewed a guy on the podcast, Stephen Lewandowski, who's a professor, and it's interesting you're talking about your science communications about national parks and stuff. His research was in climate change, but I wanted to talk to him about about COVID because what his research showed was a thing called motivated cognition. Motivated cognition is when someone goes from point A and they get their answer at point C. Now, when you provide them evidence at point B that disputes the answer, what they just do is they get another path to the same outcome. And he saw that as evidence in um, in his climate change research. But obviously, that can be applied to things like COVID and Facebook and people doing that as well. There's parallels there as well. Um, so I, I think even though, as you say, and, and we're being very careful that um, you know we're not COVID experts, but um, I'm, I'm hoping and we'll find out as, through this conversation is your, your expertise and the way you teach communication around science will be relevant to us to hear and relating it directly to COVID, even though it's not about COVID, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I, and I, I think the basic principles of communication apply to all communication. And, um, and, and, and so th that's really where something like science communication can help institutions and governments and things like that that are trying to reach the hardest to reach areas of science of society um, with science about things like pandemics and so forth climate change as well uh, that what works for someone with a university education and pretty um, well off doesn't work the same way for someone who Ha doesn't have a university education. In other words, uh, we've been doing research which shows that this voice of God kind of expository, encyclopedic way of talking to people that uh, the government is using at the moment, that, that works for, for, for people like you and me. Uh, but for people that are less educated, and I don't mean they're less people, lesser, lesser persons for that. I just mean that they've made some choices or they haven't had the choice to get an education at, at, a, at a certain level. That 
it works better to communicate with them if you if you um, if you do what I call put science in a bun. You 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 give them something around the science that makes it entertaining, and we talk about infotainment. And mm. when people get science like that, they hardly know they're getting a science lesson. They just absorb it because they're they're engaged with the way that you're telling the story or your um, uh, the people that you're using to tell the stories and things like that. And 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 that's really why you know you can't have one size fits all when it comes to communication. Um, you have to know your audience, and that's the crucial thing. And you have to know what you're trying to get across, and then target what you're going to do in the most suitable way and 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 what's suitable for one group won't be suitable for another group and you're right though about communication sort of going across all fields because as you're talking about you know this bun this wrapping this message up in a bun that's easily digestible is what i think when i hear you talking about a bun you know ingesting it i was writing a writing a proposal this afternoon completely unrelated and i used the word easily consumable you know so it's and that's for a that's for a media um initiative i've got to try and get off the ground for next year so these and that's exactly what a, you know a radio station will do is they'll they'll basically package their advertising in this bun so you'll hopefully consume their adverts which just happens to be around the songs and the radio hosts or the same for the television you know you'll consume Absolutely. that advertising break so so yeah I, it, it's everywhere and i can see how it's the same and it does make me think as well about the the group of people we're talking about um in fact I guess I should take a step back and say it's not always that group of people because I've got an example that I'm going to share with you as well. I spoke to um, an educated woman, a head of a department for a school, who was a, a person who didn't want to take the vaccine. But And so she has, has, has lost her job, which I think is, is really sad and really hard, but it's through choices that she's made. And, and, and she put herself in the media to be talked to, so we talked to her. Um. But it seems to me, and, and this is sort of a little bit talking about uh, the the algorithms and what surrounds these people, because uh, I was talking to someone yesterday about this interview that I did with, um, her name's Rachel, and uh, when I explained what had happened during the interview, they went, oh yeah, because they never hear anything like that. They never hear a pushback because of the algorithm and the, and the, and the circle that they're in, all they're getting fed is what they want to consume and what they want to consume is that motivated cognition. That's their outcome. They've already got. And what Facebook is doing is just like the radio stations or just like the television stations, they want you to stay on their platform for as long as possible to show you as many ads as possible to make as much money as possible. So their algorithm feeds you one of two things, either the, either the stuff you already agree with or the stuff that you're going to completely conflict with. Because on Facebook, the algorithms show that conflict is one of the best ways to keep people engaged. And so I will, I'll play a little bit of this for you. Um, I was talking to her and she brought up um, the idea of um, suicide numbers going up, which is not what the research has shown. But she'd never heard that before. We also have a huge, huge amount an increase in um, deaths from suicide. You mentioned that at the start oh, there. We have no, an increase. And that's not accurate. Increase, hey, that's, not know, accurate. that's absolutely not accurate. Suicide numbers have gone down in the last 12 months. Like the research shows, the Stats New Zealand shows, suicide numbers have okay. gone down. I know that for a fact because I have researched that one, and I think it's really just a really 
a dangerous thing to say suicide numbers have gone up when over the last 12 months, I don't have it at the hand, I can get it, but I've actually gone down in the last 12 months. And so then we continue the conversation and I'll show you when live as we were chatting, I brought up the news story about the suicide stat numbers There's going down. There's a lot down. of people who are very much hurting from the lockdowns. And I'm, again, this conversation isn't about the lockdowns. It's the reason of why I'm choosing not to get this particular jab and I will be losing, probably losing my job on Monday night. So um, I haven't got the, the, I mean, we can get the direct link to Stats New Zealand, but here's the numbers. Uh, on the, the 10th month of this year, New Zealand suicide rate drops for the second consecutive year. Is that enough evidence? Um, I don't know. I think I need to look at some of the stuff that Mike King has been saying, which is... So asked her, asked, her, asked her if that was enough evidence and her response was, I better, I mean, like I, I have utmost respect for Mike King and what he's done in the area of mental health, but her response is, I need to check with the comedian uh, to see what he says about it. Um, so her, obviously her cycle of noise fed into her what she was saying. Now, the other thing I was going to say is the thing that seems interesting is I didn't play it because it's for time. She also mentioned things like anxiety going up. She also mentioned people going through job losses. All of that stuff's true. And the thing that's also interesting is in the cycle of noise, they will get two or three accurate bits of information and they'll get one that's not. And it's the one that's not, that'll be a massive focus to show how bad things are. Whereas the accurate ones are still accurate. What I'm saying people is you don't need the bullshit one on top. We need to talk about anxiety. We need to talk about job losses. They're all valid things. We don't need to jump to, oh, yeah, and people are topping themselves because of COVID and, and record numbers because that, that actually is not true. And I think really, really a, a dangerous thing to be sharing around. Yeah, and um, I, I still can't get the link why if people are topping themselves, let's say they were because of COVID, then surely you'd want to stop it by taking the vaccine i i, yeah, I don't I understand the logic yeah well I, the thing that i found out of course and i my part of my heart and my passion for this thing that i do is to find out why people believe what they believe i love it you know i i want i want you here so i can hear what you know that's what i want to know and so i, I had this person on because i wanted to know why why when i i see things one way do you see things another way and respectfully and i don't want to put anything on on rachel because she's obviously going through a really hard time because of her choices. Um, it just was all the the common tropes of and being an anti-vaxxer. And well, no, I, I let's be fair and accurate. She says that she had taken some vaccines. So what that means is she's anti this vax. So it's this right. vax that she's anti, not necessarily an anti-vaxxer, which I think for, for a group out there needs to be clarified. So okay. as someone who, who works in communication, especially with communication with um, science, how, how do we, okay, so th there's a there's a person who is educated, as an example, I don't want to talk about her like she's the example, maybe she's not, but someone who is educated, you've talked about people who maybe aren't as educated or haven't been involved around academic circles being sort of left a bit behind, how do we reach them, what do we do, how do we get across to them what the, what the what I consider to be, and I'm when you say what the truth is, of course, a group of people are going to be saying, well, that's not the truth. Well, I think it is when it comes to vaccines and stuff. Um, and I'd like to, I'd like these people to understand the perspective that's not only going to help the country, but help them stay safe as well. 
Okay, well, I'll try and answer that, Pat. And first, I have to say that you're breaking up uh, so much that I can barely get the question, but I think I've got this one. Um, and you're asking me to say, well, what sort of things can we use to get to people that are hard to reach? And it's interesting that she used the example of Mike King, because that's one of the ways is that you need to well, first of all, the things that really work well are storytelling, humor. Humor works really well. And having engagement with someone or that they look up to and respect. So in, in, in the case where she was just being interviewed, she said, well, I'd have to go and look at what Michael King said. Now, whether that's a good source or not is irrelevant. It's just that people have the people that they respect the people they look up to and so again this is the government's job is 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 to have representatives of particular social groups that they look up to if they can be telling them that hey it's safe to take the vaccine hey it's good for you to take the vaccine then you're much more likely to have them believe it and and have an uptake than if it's me telling them or the prime minister or you telling them or whatever. I guess the difficulty, and I, and I hear what you're saying. I mean, I think most research towards things like advertising and stuff is, you know, if you, if you learn from your brother or sister or mother or father about a good product, you try it. Like it's relational. It's what helps you step into that, you know, trying whatever it is. But mm. we're also getting, so I'm thinking about the number of, so Billy TK, for example, we all know the name Billy TK. He pops mm -hmm. up on my freaking phone every single night. Every single night it says Billy TK is going live. I talk to my father once or twice a week. So I I, I hear what you're saying, and, I, and obviously you're right, but I guess my concern is if someone is getting overwhelmed with the if we can say dangerous information, the alternative information, and those mm -hmm. people they trust aren't as involved in their lives. I mean, that's how you get cult members, isn't it? I mean, if you read how a how a cult is formed, that that's that's how people join cults. It, it is, but it you know there's there's a there's a sort of sense, and I I, I get this in the um uh the way the government approaches their sort of inclusive um, platform is to say, oh, well, we're going to have um, Maori talking to Maori or Pacifica talking to Pacifica, you know, that sort of thing. And I think that does a disservice to any social group, whether they're Maori, Pacifica or whatever. It, it sort of says that all of you people are all the same and you will only respond to this person or that person. And I think it's much more important to have, um, dare I say, uh, personalities, um, you know, it could be Kane West, it could be the captain of the All Blacks, it could be the captain of the Silver Ferns, uh, you know, it, it could be one of our um, gold medalist rowers at the Olympics, it could be a, a, an actor. Um, these are not always people that should be the font of knowledge when it comes to things like medicine. Um, but if you can find people like that, that will be spokespeople. And you talked before about advertising. You know, what does advertising do? It uses Steve Fleming to advertise um, heat pumps. 
what the yeah. hell would a cricketer know about heat pumps? But it's yeah. because he he represents honesty and integrity to people. And so if you can have the message about COVID being related to these groups that need to get it, and it's coming from someone that they will respect, and it doesn't need to be a member of their own community. It just needs to be someone they look up to, someone they could believe. I think that's a much more powerful way than putting out a pamphlet, putting a 1 p.m. bulletin and thinking you've done it all. I think it's kind of hilarious, accurate, but a little bit sad when we talk about the phrase that someone that they'll believe and we list in that the captain of the All Blacks over the doctors and scientists. Like, yeah. <laughs> who, should, who should we be believing more? But, but, but I get it. I mean, but, you know, like, you know, I, I watch NFL. It's just one of those quirks I have. And so, you know, I look at Tom Brady and he's paid a gazillion dollars to mm-hmm. um, champion all sorts of products, which I'm sure he doesn't know anything about. But his his name, his brand, the way people look up to him, that sells those products. And, and that's where I think we do have a mistake in the way we approach science and communication is we are selling a product. We are marketing something and we need to take on board all the tools that the marketing agencies use um, in order to sell science. And that's why I talk so much about science in a bun because it's really a sort of um, a clear example of what you can do to actually sell science. No, that's really interesting because I'm thinking about it as you're talking and I'm thinking about, um, I forget her name off the top of my head, but Xena Warrior Princess, Princess Warrior, um, yeah, yeah. being very, yeah. being very uh, you know, active in the world of uh, climate change and Greenpeace and that kind of stuff. Um, and I'm thinking about in America, you know, there are a lot of kind of Hollywood stars who are very uh, pro, pro uh, clean, green energy and that kind of stuff. And I'm just thinking, I think I can see how that works with an advertising product. What What is different about perhaps an ideology or a concept? And I can see, and I agree, and I think I've talked many times about it's a package. You need to sell a package of whatever the thing is. Because it seems that if Leonardo DiCaprio was trying to convince everyone to get solar panels, there would be a huge amount of pushback about that. But if he was selling uh, you know, Jim Bean, there'd be none. And I'm wondering what difference is it's him selling something, but one's attached maybe to what some people think is an ideology, and the other one is, I don't know, attached to a Good Friday night. Um, well, I, I actually I disagree with you. I, Leonardo DiCaprio just did a film about uh, climate change and saying we need to, um, you know, modify what we're doing, and and I think it's had a huge amount of success, and I don't think. If there's any pushback, I, I don't think it's harmed him as an actor or as, as, as income stream. And I actually think that, you know, we, we're we not getting across an ideology. I mean, I, I think that's the thing that, you know, when when McDonald's sells you a Big Mac, yeah, they're not say, saying, hey, isn't fast food great? You know, shouldn't we be dining every night at the table of fast food? They're not doing they're, tell, they're, they're selling you a quarter pounder with cheese, you know, like whatever it is, is the thing they're selling you at that moment. And and I think the same goes for something like the COVID pandemic. 
we can't turn people on to different schools of thought about medicine and so forth, but we we damn well better have a plan when it comes to things like if, if vaccination is the route out of here and you, you can certainly question the government's sort of um, philosophy at the beginning where they tried to keep an enclosure around, they tried to turn New Zealand into Zealandia or, or Arakanui. Um, yeah. and, and, and I think that they, while it was a, a good strategy as a sort of um, uh, holding the fort initially, they needed to be ramping up the vaccinations. But if ramping up the vaccinations is the thing, it's the thing you want to get across, then you're not trying to get across a philosophy about vaccinations. All you're trying to do is get those people to take that COVID vaccine. You don't even care what they do with measles or anything like that. It's not a, because I agree with you what you said before about um, people can be pro pro certain vaccines, but anti this one. And, um, and, and really, we shouldn't be worried about the other vaccines. We should only be concentrated on what we need to sell them on getting a vaccine now. And the government certainly seems like it's going to use the carrot and stick approach um, uh, so that if we move to this traffic-like system, unless you're double vaxxed, you're, um, you're not going to be able to partake in some of the things that we all enjoy doing. I think um, when, before when I talk about an ideology, I guess what I was saying is some perceive it as an ideology. Some perceive the kind of, you know, polar, solar power, the green thing as, as an ideology, like it's a political thing. I agree, it's not. Um, the, I was also thinking as you were talking about the carrot and stick, um, earlier before when you were talking about, um, I'm paraphrasing what you said, and so don't no one quote me for this, but, you know. The, the I can't even hear you properly, so you can, you can paraphrase me all you like. <laughs> um, the government uh what's the word um sort of not doing a perfect job in communication there being some gaps in there on the way they've done it there have been some people who have missed the message be it fair or not is that where the stick has to come in because you're never going to be able to get everybody there's always going to be some people or groups for whatever the message is that falls through the gaps. And when you're talking about a pandemic, the only way to then scoop them up is say, well, we've tried our best. So now if you don't, the punishment is. Is that is that now the only tool the government has left is the stick? Yeah, well, I, I don't think you can give up on the carrot, but I think you, you, you're left with, especially if you're not getting traction with the carrot, then you're left with, and it seems like we're pushing this analogy way too far, but you're left <laughs> with using the stick. Um, and, you know, you only have to look at what's happening in, uh, say, Austria and places like that. You know, countries that you never would have thought that they would bring in a mandate, you know, to lock down just unvaccinated people. Well, now they've done it for everyone. But, you know, th these are extraordinary times. And um, uh, I think, countries that you would have thought were more open to individual expression and so forth wouldn't go along with some of these uh, heavy-duty mandates, but they are. And and uh, and common sense says that the government needs to step in and govern when people's lives are on the line. I mean, that's what that's why we have government. That's, you know, the, the government is there to do the will of the people and to look after, after us. And sometimes they have to make the tough calls, you know. Um, I'm looking at the numbers as we as we go as we're recording. The, I'm looking at the numbers, and when you think about <coughs> the 
92% of New Zealand on average has had its first dose. Zero more people need to get vaccinated to make it the 90% for the first dose. And 84% have had the second dose. It seems that whilst there might have been some gaps and we might be you know, needing to get over that last couple of hurdles, that in, in general, the message or the, the, the way they've communicated it has worked um, in general. Yeah, I, I, I think um, I think it was actually a, a good strategy on the government's part to set that target and say, you know, if you guys want to get out of lock, lockdown and get some freedoms, you've got to reach this. It's a it's a social responsibility you have as well as an individual responsibility. And I think that that did get traction in, in the same way that I think the the sort of stick part of the um, you know, traffic light system that you you can't go to hairdressers, you can't go to bars, you can't go to events unless you're double vaccinated. Um, and and I think I, I think that is having an effect. There's no doubt also that you know um, uh, a lot of what was perceived to be people that were reluctant to get vaccinated was that they just didn't perceive the risk to them. And that moment is being sufficiently great for them to interrupt their day or their work schedule, particularly if you're in the rural areas, you're working in farming and something like that, where every day counts um, and, and it's difficult necessarily or might be to go and get a, a vaccine. But I think the, that those sorts of um, stick-like actions and also the uh, sort of transmission of the Delta virus down New Zealand as it sort of slowly seems to be uh, taking place and almost inevitably will go throughout New Zealand. Um, I think that makes a sort of sense of immediacy that um, it's not something affecting the people in Auckland if you don't live there. It's actually something that can affect me and, okay, I'm going to do something. I'm going to go and get vaccinated. Do you think there's a danger, speaking of communication, especially when we're talking about science, of accurately talking about a downside of, let's say, the vaccine, uh, which is scientifically accurate, that then fuels the fire of, let's say, all the anti-vaxxers, but the opponents of it, and they then use that information that one has put out there, which is accurate but negative, to then further their case of, you know, the vaccine doesn't work. It's tyranny. The government's trying to take out. And, and I'll give you a specific example. And I've already told you about this. And let me just say, uh, Ian Wishart, who is obviously a very well-known New Zealand journalist, um, I've spoken to Ian about it and he's fine with us using this. He put up a post on his Facebook page that basically, and I won't read the whole thing because it's long, but talks about the waning effect of the vaccine. His, his accusation was the media are ignoring it. I don't know if that's true or not, but the main point he was making was, talking about how much, I'll read this part that I've highlighted, the scenario of the vaccine uh, wearing off much quicker than the assumed six months is becoming all too common. I pinged stuff last week for telling the story of a fully vaccinated Auckland man catching COVID, but failed to mention when he had been fully vaccinated just six weeks earlier. Now, I think there's a lot of questions to be asked around this because the vaccine doesn't work for everybody. And whether that particular individual it had worn off or whether it hadn't worked or whatever. But, but this was the thing I was going to say. It's fair for him to talk about the waning effect of the vaccine, and it's fair to talk about people who are getting sick and dying who have the vaccine. 
But what happened, and if you look down here and have a look, right, at the comments and shares, that got shared 1,400 times. In the first, I think it was nine hours, it was shared over 400 times. And if you go through the comments, and please God, don't, but if you do, it's all things like, oh, finally, Ian, you've seen the light. Oh, Ian's come back to the truth. You know, basically, they've taken this accurate message as someone saying the vaccine's crap. And and as evidence for that, as you can see, some other posts that Ian's put up, which are actually are positively reflected on the vaccine. Italian natural immunity nutbats have been COVID party to deliberately infect themselves. Now they're on respirators. So that's a positive story around, you know, the vaccine. Don't do it. It's had 42, oh, it's had, actually, that's had no shares, 42 comments, <laughs> you know. Course, and then yeah. uh, another yeah. one about 385,000 Americans have died of COVID last year. Only 20,000 were fully vaccinated. So it's a positive thing about the vaccine. That's had three shares. So the, the and I often think about this when I'm, when I'm doing this sort of thing, not you and me, but the podcast is I don't want to fuel the nutbags, the rabid, whoever they are. In this case, it's anti-vaxxers. Even if the information we're giving out is accurate, what do we do about that? Well, I, to answer your first question that you prefaced all this with, I think we have to be honest and transparent about information. And in terms of going back to those things that affect communication, there are other things as well. And authenticity and believability, they are all key elements in whether someone um, takes on board what is being told to them and, and so forth. So I, I think it's absolutely imperative that the government, the doctors, everyone else um, not shy away from the actual truth. But I think People like Ian and so forth, they, they misrepresent what the vaccine is, I think, a little bit, because the vaccine is not a, a shield that you put around yourself and you can't get COVID. It's only, it, it has a certain efficacy. And in fact, if we had the AstraZeneca one, then, you know, about uh, a quarter to a third of people exposed to COVID would still get it. It's, it's just that vaccines work by providing some protection. And, and in some people, they provide a lot of protection. And other people, the, uh, they're still able to, to, to get the disease. But we know, we know uh, from science, from all the data, and we've got a shitload of data now, that if you are unvaccinated, you are at huge risk relative to vaccinated people of needing hospitalization and dying. And that, but the other part of it is, is that you can't expect the vaccine itself to be a, a single cure-all. And one of the reasons for that is that this disease really targets the elderly. Mm. So if you look at unvaccinated people, just completely unvaccinated people, someone who is over 80 compared to someone who is, say, 30 to 39 that gets the, the disease, the person that's over 80 is 118 times more likely to die. I mean, it's phenomenal, the, the risk to someone as they get older. 
And what that means is that the effect of the vaccine is, is it's, it's harder for the vaccine to do its work. It's still good. You know, like if you're, if you're say over 60 um, and you take the vaccine, your chances of dying from um, COVID if you happen to get COVID uh, are still much less, way, way less. But they're not as as dramatically less as they were if you were 39 or something like that. Yeah, And, yeah. and I think it's, you know, I, I like to use the analogy of seatbelts. Like no one hmm. questions seatbelts now. You know, it's a law. We have to use seatbelts. And the thing is that, Seatbelts are effective depending what speed you're traveling at. So if you hit someone and you're traveling at 50 kilometers an hour, if you're wearing seatbelts, there's almost no chance you're going to be um, killed. Yeah. Whereas some people without seatbelts will be killed. But if you're traveling at 120 kilometers an hour, um, even if you're wearing a seatbelt, some people are still going to die. Uh, less so than if you're not wearing seatbelts at all. But what it means is that age relative to the vaccine and seatbelts relative to speed, you know, they're, they're very similar. That that It's a hard, as you get older, it's harder for the COVID vaccine to provide you with absolute protection. And as yeah. you speed, it's harder for a, a seatbelt to guarantee saving your life. But merely the fact that some people, as Wishart said, you know, can actually catch COVID a few weeks after getting the jab. So what? The, 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 the critical bit of information is that if you take the jab, if you get vaccinated, you have a much, much less likelihood of getting COVID and a much, much less likelihood of especially of needing to be hospitalized or um, dying from it. Sorry, yeah, and my, a bit no, that's great. My, my pushback on, and, and, and I, I think overall Ian's doing very good work with this on his Facebook page and his research. But my pushback on that particular post, and I said this in his, in his comments, was how do we know if that person who got COVID after six weeks um, was part of the 5% who it does, supposedly doesn't work for or whether it had worn off? I didn't see any evidence for that. So I think there was a bit of an, a, bit of an assumption made there as well. Um, I, I need to clear something with you because I'm, I'm not a particularly smart man. Uh, when you say it's 118 times more likely to die because I think about 100% being double, like I've made 100% profit. Um, yeah, yeah. Does, if one person in their 30s... So that's, 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 that's like 100%, 200%, 300%, 4, up to 118 times 100%. You know, that that's the... the, 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 um, the the risk to someone over 80 is phenomenal, phenomenal mm. relative to uh, someone who's under 40, say. But it doesn't mean if you're under 40, you can't catch COVID and die. It just means you yeah, have a much less uh, likelihood of, of this happening. And, that, and that's the other thing that plays into the hands of the anti-vaxxers. If you look at the people dying of COVID at the moment, say in the UK, the majority of them are vaccinated. But they represent a small, a much yeah. smaller proportion of the uh, vaccinated cohort. It's just that in Britain, they've already got quite a big uptake. Um, and so your chances of dying if you're vaccinated 
is much reduced, but there is still a chance you'll die. Whereas if you're unvaccinated, there's a there's a much greater chance you'll die. But when you get a population where most people are vaccinated, as they have in Britain, then many of the deaths are occurring in uh, vaccinated people. And, and unfortunately, people misquote the data and all that to sort of say, ah, see, you know, you're not getting any protection um, from having a vaccine. But in actual fact, you're getting a, a marvelous amount of protection. Yeah. Uh, an easy way to wrap that up in a bun <laughs> and pass that message on, as I said to someone the other day when they were talking about the vaccinated people in hospital, I said to them, yeah, but if 100% of the population was vaccinated, then 100% of the people in hospital would be vaccinated, but the numbers would be exponentially smaller than if 0% of the population was vaccinated. Yeah, I, yeah. I that, that was too much of a bun for me. I got uh, lost in that one. Um, I was just trying to... Uh, uh, if everyone's vaccinated, the only people dying from COVID, the only people in hospital with COVID are vaccinated people. So because, mm. but but it means, and like you're saying, I always think about, um, you know, the statistical um, ideas. If, if a million people are vaccinated and 10,000 of those people die versus 10,000 people who are unvaccinated and 5,000 of them die, you know, yes, more people who are vaccinated have died, but our, our biggest per capita proportional group of the unvaccinated have died. I'm not saying those numbers are accurate, but that's the, that's the relativity to absolutely, you are, and and yeah. that was exactly the point I was trying to make. And you know, and, and it's complicated even there because what happens is that the the relativity changes with age. So yeah, once yeah. you get above eighty, you're still vulnerable. Like, and we unfortunately are having people dying now that are vaccinated, and, and that's because Delta really hammers the elderly and. Um, so yes, if you're an elderly person over 80, you get three times the protection um, than if you were unvaccinated, but you're still vulnerable, you know, so, it, 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 you know, and that, that point you made, if, if, if uh, most of your cases are occurring in the, in the vaccinated, uh, even if it's a small proportion that's dying, they'll still have greater numbers. Now, I think we've probably just complicated this so much that anyone watching this will think, what the fuck? Well, let me, okay, let me uncomplicate un it because I put a tweet out after the Ian put that post up, not aimed at him, but aimed at some of the respondents, and it said this, which I think is quite succinct, and it kind of talks about what you're saying. Let me read it out for people who are listening to this podcast. This is a tweet that I put out, and it says, no matter what you hear keyboard warriors saying, these facts remain true. Once you're vaccinated, you're less likely to catch COVID, less likely to pass on COVID, less likely to need hospitalization if you do get it, and 11 times less likely to die from COVID. That's what the research shows. Yes, and, 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 and that's accurate. Um, with the 11 times being a sort of average, actually, yeah. you know, if you were younger, it would be even more than that. If you're older, it's somewhat less. But the point is that you're much less likely to die. I mean, that was as succinct as you could get, I think, your um, uh, tweet. It, it, it absolutely encapsulates the reason why people should take um, the vaccination. And, 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 and the other thing is that, you know, this is one of the safest vaccines that ever, ever been produced in terms of uh, side effects. It's such a, especially the Moderna and the, the Pfizer uh, variants, they are 
they're so targeted and so precise that the possibilities of having um, uh, any kind of side effects are way, 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 way less than even the possibilities of having those side effects induced from COVID, let alone mm. dying of COVID or anything like that. Yeah. So it's, you know, and, and that's the frustrating thing. You know, any logical person reading your tweet would say, well, you know, why are we arguing? Why are we even having this debate? Um, because it's obvious when you look at it that, you know, you should be having a vaccination, but things get twisted. And, and that's the sad thing. People get into the algorithm and they get in their circle of their uh, like-minded people. And I, I wrote down, as you said, at a, a couple of conversations back that we shouldn't shy away from the truth. And it made me think again, though, when we don't shy away from the truth, what do we do when they do? I thought a little bit like, it's a little bit like, you know, my parents taught me, you know, don't be a bully. All right. So I won't, I won't, I won't punch the, the kid who's punching me, but they're still punching me, but I'm not, I'm not going to bully them. I'm bigger than them. I'm, you know what I mean? It's like, if we, if we take, for want of a better word, the high road <laughs> and they take the low road, um, it's the kind of thing that could still impact all of us. I mean, we're still, Auckland's still in lockdown, not necessarily because of that, but you know, it's, it's the, the tail is there because of these freaking things that we're seeing in, in public parks, people protesting. It's happening in Dunedin here in the Octagon. I just drove past, ironically, and this is a little hint for people. When you drive past a protest, and I did this the other day in the Octagon, and you notice that all the signs are exactly the same color and font, it means one person has made 30 signs and brought them along. It doesn't mean there are a lot of people in their houses making signs because they feel that strongly about it. Just think about that next time you see a protest. Yeah, So, but they're, they're the tail that's going to cause us to drag on. Yeah, and, and this is what, we you know, before we were discussing, I was sort of uh, implying that the government hadn't done enough for some areas. I think the your question about what what do we do when um, uh, they, take the road. They, 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 they misrepresent the truth? Well, to be honest, we have to be where the eyes and ears are, you know, and uh, so it's not exactly saying we have to punch, um, like um, your parents were saying, you know, should, but we have to counter punch with words. You know, the pen is always mightier than the sword. Maybe they taught you that too. And, uh, yeah. but the thing is that, you know, like I think that ignoring things like Instagram, TikTok, uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter, that's a mistake. Uh, so many people these days, that's where they go to get, you know, YouTube, that's where they go to get not only their entertainment, but their information. And so it behoves those of us wanting to communicate science or governments wanting to get messages across to both use those platforms and use them in ways that gets to the the target audience. So, you know, as I said at the beginning, it's it's always about knowing who your audience is and what's the best way to reach them. So you have to do a bit of research and thinking about it beforehand and then use the tools. And And I think the, the government's used a very limited suite of tools up to now. And yes, it captures most people, but that critical tail, as you call it, that long tail, um, they're resistant to that. And, and it's partly because of the algorithms and things like that on Facebook and others platforms. 
is that they're not even seeing the stuff that would um, have any potential chance of influencing them about their current held views. Because as you point out, from the platform's point of view, there's no there's no um, incentive to do that because they want to keep their eyes there. They want to keep feeding them the things that uh, they respond to. So uh, the government or the scientists or the doctors, whoever's doing it, they need to have ways of encapsulating their message in in a form that reaches those groups if they've identified, you know, whatever group it is that they want it. Yeah. Hey, Lloyd, I've got one more question for you. And it's really based around this idea. I like, because I'm someone who likes to engage. Like, I, I think, uh, like, uh, the best, the best, the best fight against bad speech is good speech. You know, the best fight against hate speech is positive speech. You know, I, I like to engage and I run another series uh, online. It's a podcast, sorry, it's a debate series called Elephant TV, where we talk about the elephant in the room. We just did one last week on hate speech with the chief commissioner of the um, Human Rights Commission. Um, I want to know from you. Now, this is asking your question, a question of you as a professor of science communication. Okay. And I'll tell the story. Remember when I was working at ZB in the first decade of this century? Uh, there were still some conversations going on around climate change. I used to want to have de debates on air, have both sides come on air and talk about it. And Greenpeace would say to me, we do not argue settled science. My position to Greenpeace in those moments were always, well, the, the problem is I'm someone who is sort of still figuring this all out. What you're do What I feel like you're doing is denying me the opportunity to hear what you've heard, to come to your conclusion if you're not going to come on and talk to us about it. And then there's a million of me listening as well. I won't say who this is because I haven't asked their permission, so I won't. But I was talking with a very high profile figure in New Zealand media who has been on our screens a lot talking about uh, vaccines and the, and the benefits of them. And I, and I was asking this person about, you know, doing a bit of a debate on, on that and got told by person X, the evidence is really clear that debates are not a good way to engage with misinformation. And then this person asked me, my question is, are you trying to stop misinformation spreading or help it? Because if your aim is to actually help our vaccination efforts, then the evidence is really clear. Don't give the anti-vaxxers a platform that by debate, uh, that by debating them. It's quite simple. If you go ahead regardless, you are helping them, and I won't have any involvement in that. So this person, who I said I'm not going to identify who it was, but they were sort of of the same position as Greenpeace was in 2007. They're like, I'm not going to debate this. They went a bit further. They said, and you're going to damage people, which is why I don't care about that personally. I'm not taking that offense. But do you think in general, from a science communication point of view, we should always engage? We should be engaging now with these groups. The loudest voices in New Zealand who are pro-vaccine should be engaging with the NZDSOS type people. Or do you agree that because of the potential health risks, consequences, that word we hear, people being platformed, that if they're not on board by now, we should ignore them? I, it's a difficult question because philosophically, uh, I would probably go with the debate. Um, but I hearken back to when I was a PhD student in Edmonton in Canada. And at that time, there was a big debate going on between creationists and evolutionary biologists. And the creationists in the United States and Canada, they were really big and they had some absolutely um, top-notch debaters. And so they would put on these big public spectacles. 
And mostly the advice to the scientists was, you know, it's you're on a hiding to nothing there because they're going to outwit you with their clever speech and they're going to make themselves and their position, which is a preposterous one from the point of view of the science that was being, yep. uh, uh, they're going to make it seem like they are the reasonable ones. And, and yet, you know, I, I, I remember a, a professor who I looked up to who, who, who took them on and debated them. And I think he did very well. And I, I think there's an argument for engagement. There's also an argument for ignoring. And I don't mean ignoring in the sense that the, the climate debate is one example where you get a lot of media that always sort of fall back on that, well, we've got to shy, we've got to be balanced. So we need both points of view. But when the one point of view represents, you know, 5% of people, 5% of scientists or something versus 95% of science, it's, it's, there's, there's no longer a sort of um, uh, an absolute that you need to give equal time to both these points of view, when, especially when one point of view has been so solidly debunked. And so I, I actually think that in the climate arena, giving space to the climate deniers actually does a disservice to uh, um, uh, the debate itself or the progression of the understanding of the science, because it, it kind of puts them on the same level um, with regard to the evidence. So... Uh, I think the same argument could be made with mm. some of the material from the anti-vaxxers and that, um, is that if they haven't got a good argument, then at a certain point, you just you stop giving them a voice because a voice is so important. I mean, you look at, I mean, you know, we talked about Trump. Trump, you know, has been invisible as much as he can be for the last you know year because he hasn't had the the platform he hasn't had the voice that he had there mm. and and, no and yeah exactly and 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 you know most of us have all breathed a heavy sigh of relief as a <laughs> consequence and so i th i think that giving a while a debate philosophically sounds like the right thing to do especially if you have two parties that have sort of both got valid points of view then i think that's a reasonable way but when when you have a contest or supposed contest between um people that have nothing really to back up their ideas and uh and and a very strong body of evidence then you're giving them a voice and it probably doesn't help at all um it just keeps that uh annoying inferno going and uh, you know i at, at the same time you know i'm a big believer in free speech so you know you you have to balance all those things but i i, I really think as journalists as people who are communicating it's not necessary under the auspices of being balanced to show both sides equally um yeah I don't know if that answered it in the way you wanted. Um, I, I, I did I see, did. I, I looked at your website. Yeah, yeah. And you had something going on with your blog, I think, was about 
um, the Flat Earth Society guy, Nathan, and someone <laughs> called Katz. And, yeah. you know, like, uh, I just think that anyone who has a uh, who represents a flat earth society, well, that's great. You know, they should be able to accumulate um, just like, um, uh, you know, when I say accumulate, they, they should be able to uh, 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 interact with each other and have this little social group. Uh, but we don't want to have to deal with them, you know, like, you know, go and pretend the earth is flat over there and, you know, um, uh, well, and, so, and saying just, that for the, for the flat Earth one is there have there's been several examples of people because of, and I and I haven't I haven't done a debate per se but I've had a few on um, there've been several examples of people who have seen and heard that sort of debate which has been the thing that's pulled them out so I guess for me I kind of think what's the sum total here is the sum total positive for you know convincing people or showing people that that vaccines are good that. Um, that the earth is not flat or whatever, or is the sum total the message of the flat earth or the anti-vaccine is going to reach more people and perhaps turn more of them? We don't know the answers to those questions before we do it, but that's sort of, I mean, like people ask me, because I do this debate show called Elephant TV, and we've hopefully got one coming up in December, which is about the birth certificate legislation going through. And it's great doing them on legislation. With The last month's one was on hate speech legislation because it's actually is quite a this side, this side, because it's actually about legislation as opposed mm. to being a, a person or people or an ideology. And but there are, oh, I, I, I think debates are fantastic. I think they're the one of the clearest ways to um, uh, distinguish differing positions, and that's why they're so important in you know political encounters and things like that. I just think that where you. I, I think, and I, I particularly think not so much of the COVID uh, thing, but the cl climate change um, and the, the 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 voice that media has given the climate deniers, and I think they have unintentionally promoted their views as being sort of on a par with the alternative, the scientific alternative, and and I I just think that the that anyone who does a a, a balanced sort of Look at the um, at the at the papers published on uh, climate change. We'll see the evidence is overwhelmingly in favor of yes, there's anthropogenic um, uh, induced climate change, and what we do about it. There's another thing, but I, yeah, sorry, I'm I'm on a bit of a tangent here. No, look, we're about to wrap up. I think anyway, but I think for me, the whole debate idea is. Um, I was going to say, people have often, like, of the birth certificate bill, people are saying, well, you're denying someone's existence. And I'm like, no, no, we're going to debate a legislation. It's very, very different. But they're saying, like, well, what wouldn't you debate? And I'm like, if it's in the public square, genuinely, I think it's valid for debating about. And I use the example, and I'm, I don't mean to offend anybody, you know, I'm never going to do a debate on the pros of teenage suicide. Apart from anything else, it's a disgusting thought. But it's also, no one's talking about that. It's not in the public square. You know, if it's in the public square, I think it's valid. But that still doesn't negate your point that if it's in the public square and two people are saying one thing and 98 people are saying the other, maybe that's not a valid debate. But that's normally my my starting point. Are people in the public talking about this? And then go on to the next stages. Is it is it now a valid uh, thing to be debating, yes or no? So that's where I kind of sit. But anyway, well, anyway, anyway, uh, this has been great fun. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for coming on board and, and sharing some stuff with us. 
Um, what are you working on right now? Are you working on anything in the realms of documentary or filmmaking? Uh, interesting you should say that. Um, well, I've got a, a whole lot of research going on, on on national parks, and some of that involves filmmaking. Um, the the next film, I'm, I'm, I'm just sort of uh, uh, working through some of the possibilities. Actually, my partner is also a filmmaker. Um, and so I... I'd be a little loath to talk about that, but I'm uh, because we haven't sort of solidified anything yet. Sure. But as far as books go, I've got uh, two or three um, books on the go. One's a children's book about penguins. Uh, another is a, a book about monkeys, and uh, another and the science around some of their behaviour. And I, my most recent book was about uh, a the first penguin biologist who went down with Scott to the Antarctic and had oh, wow. this amazing story. And it's a sort of, it's not a follow-up to that. It's sort of a, a segue from that into um, the, what happened to Scott's last expedition. And uh, I've got a few ins there that may pan out. They may not. So it's, it's at the moment, it's sort of fingers in the pie stuff. Well, look, I've enjoyed this immensely, uh, Lloyd. Thank you for, thank you for uh, working through the internet and the various bits and pieces and the reorganising and the happy birthdays for your for your little one for tomorrow and anything else that goes with it. Um, but it's been a huge amount of fun, and thank you so much, Professor of Science Communications, Professor Lloyd uh, Lloyd Spencer Davis, for joining us today. Uh, it's been awesome. Thanks for your time, and I'm sure we'll talk again soon. So we're both Dunedin based. Yeah, look, anytime, and I, I, I couldn't hear you very well through this, but you seem to not say, you know, the guy's a doofus every time I talk, so <laughs> I must have been saying something that was sort of answering your question, so, yeah. All right, Lloyd, all the best. Okay, ciao.